0: Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show.
1: Moving Iron in the 21st century.
0: And welcome to the our Podcast, the run Rundown with Angie Setzer. Angie, how are you this morning?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: Oh, if I was any better, I couldn't stand it, Angie. Things are just, <laughs> just that good. Right. All right. So there is obviously, like usual, plenty of stuff to talk about. No lack of things to talk about here. Um, we've got this, uh, I guess, ongoing China China thing still happening. It's kind of back and forth. We've got the Mexico thing now that just kind of sprung up on us here out of nowhere. And that's yeah. I guess they're all kind of the table now. Mexico is showing all their all their documentation about how hard they're trying to uh, to fix this issue so they can go along with it. And then before we got started, you brought up that maybe they're trying to get a uh, a jump on this five five uh, percent tariff thing, and they bought a bunch of corn. It sounds like so allegedly, yeah. a, uh, allegedly, bought allegedly, a bunch of corn. yeah,
1: so. alleged corn. But yeah, um, I mean there's there's a lot going on. Um, You know, and and so right now, uh, the China thing, as far as I'm concerned, it's over. We broke up, we're done. So at this point, it's all about just getting your hooded sweatshirt back um, and your mixtape with the I Love You written on it so it doesn't get out, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I think really the Chinese headlines, the Chinese conversations, I think that I think that ship sailed at this point, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. Um, There's going to be a lot of news uh groups that are still going to focus on on what's taking place obviously it has some pretty extensive uh implications for things outside of the grain and commodity markets as well you know with with what's taking place relation-wise what we'll see happen from an import standpoint you know does my uh uh, cd player at walmart go up in price by 20 percent or whatever so i mean it's it's not um it's not over but at this point in time I think it's been 15-16 months. I, I, I think we're, we've are we learned the new world, right? Um, we'll see what, what happens as we go forward. The, the biggest question now is Mexico. What is Mexico right. look like? What's taking place with the Mexico thing? We had the USMCA taken care of two, three weeks ago, and now on Monday we're talking about putting tariffs in place on um, you know everything for Mexico. Now the one thing that we've seen it has been most interesting to me is I have not seen a comprehensive list of the ways Mexico would react. So everyone's assuming that corn would be one of those things that were targeted, but I've seen an article there here recently that, that basically on the list of things of uh, imports into Mexico from the U.S. that would be have retaliatory tariffs placed on them. As far as I've seen, corn isn't on there. Um, and you have to remember that we imported and shipped a lot of corn into Mexico, Uh, prior to NAFTA and and things of that nature, we figured out ways around it. We've done it with Canada. We had some some retaliatory tariffs put on when we were working uh, into the the Canadian market. So, um, the problem that we have right now really more than anything I would say in the market structure, because I'm getting a lot of people saying, you know, Angie, what's going on? We've got a significant amount of corn that's unplanted. It's June 7th. Why is the market lower today? Well, you have to remember that converting the market from one standpoint to the other, it's a lot easier to go bullish to bearish really quickly, you know, elevator up, or escalator up, elevator down, um, than it is to go from bullish to to bearish. So, or excuse me, bearish to bullish, sorry. Um, Because, you know, it's it's really easy to be like, oh, you know, we're bullish, we're bullish, we're bullish, we're bullish, oh, we've overproduced, our demand's been cut, we might as well sell off. you know, Right now, you're trying to convince a bunch of people that have been married to an idea that we're going to be choking on corn for the next foreseeable 27 billion years. Um, you're trying to, to kind of tell them, um, oopsie, we don't have the crop that we thought we had. Um, and so that's, that's really a, a struggle for a lot of people to understand. Um, you're really kind of expecting people who have no concept of what goes into producing a crop who just think as long as you seed it, you can seed corn until the 4th of July. I mean, I'm getting a lot of people telling me even that, uh, well, the bullish planting report. What bullish planting report are you seeing? Because the planting report that we got on Monday was below trade expectation. It showed us we have 30 million acres of corn on the the day prior to the crop insurance drop-dead date. Not drop-dead date, excuse me. The prior to getting into late planting, which you have to remember, a lot of folks in the Corn Belt, even if they are planting, they're planting throughout the very late planted period. Right. Um, you know, So there's just this idea of, well, we'll get it planted. Uh, I actually saw someone earlier this week say, well, we, could, we still have a chance to make trendline yield." um so there's some real uncertainty over what supply looks like um what we can do i mean genetics are magic apparently so it's 500 bushel potential in the bag so as long as you just throw it just go ahead and and seed it with a helicopter at this point in time we'll have a record crop sale so that's kind of the you know that's one frustrating side of things um the second frustrating side is is even if you do have someone recognize okay supply has been cut that's concerning they're still holding on to this demand-bear sort of ideology where, well, big demand's going to suck. And demand you know, demand sucking is going to offset all of this loss in production. We're going to be okay. And not helping, obviously, is Brazil um, shipping corn into the southeast, which, by the way, is not new. It happens every year. Right. The USDA has us down for 35 million bushels of corn imports. And last year, this year... It's not new. Usually, we we import about a million metric ton of corn into the southeast from South America. Maybe last year it wasn't quite that much from South America, but they had a crop failure. Um, overnight, there was a lot of rumors that forty to forty-two cargoes of corn had been purchased by the Mexico buyers from Brazil. Rumors. Let's right. let's uh, let's go ahead and, and uh, go back to the the conversations that we've had about China. Um, We're two and weeks away. All Angie. of those fun rumors that came out then you know what I mean I yeah. think we would have learned our lesson by now that if someone doesn't put their name on it Mm-mm. um it's marginally true right. I think at exactly. this point in time at yep. best I mean if you're not willing to say yep I sold or I traded these cargos you know then it's just someone talking about something probably someone that's cra- stuck in a bad position trying to get this market talked down is, is my guess but Maybe that's just a conspiracy theory on my side. But, you know, so obviously you have to look at reality and what's taking place is is my take on this. And reality is at the start of the week, we had 31 million acres unplanted. What's gotten planted this week? Let's go with the, okay, we're going to have the best planting pace out of the entire spring and get 30, get uh, uh, 20 million acres of the crop planted. So what's that? You know, 20 million, 20 million acres basically, not quite. I'm not gonna sit here and, and bore you guys with the actual map, but so we managed this week to have the most progress that we've had. Magically. Um what does that mean? So we still have 10 million acres on planet, five to ten million acres on planet. So we're let's let's go ahead and take a look at, at how many acres that takes us down to. Um we're probably in years that you have very wet years like this, you tend to see an increase or supply disruption of some sort. You tend to see an increase in what the USDA calls harvest abandonment or an increase decrease in percent harvested for grain because cattle feeders need feed. You're chopping corn for silage. You're flooding out acres that are planted. There are a lot of acres in Missouri and other areas that have been planted that are classified as planted that will continue to be classified as planted but sure as heck won't be harvested. Um, So you've got to make those adjustments. And then you start to talk about yield, which is go ahead and start talking about whatever you want to talk about on yield, because, you know, ISU, Purdue, Illinois, all of these major agricultural universities are coming out and saying that if we were to see, um, if you plant a crop after last half May or after June 5th, here's what your percentage of uh, max yield will be. If the weather is perfect, the remainder of the growing season most would agree it's anywhere from 55 to 70 percent so let's go with a, a conservative reduction in yield we lose 11 bushel we go down to 165 at that point that means that basically looking at my handy dandy supply and demand outlook here uh, you need to lose a billion bushel of demand to keep our carry out around 1.2 billion if this is with a 5 million acre cut 89% of that harvested. A 165 yield, which is probably on the high side of everything on that side. You know, that's a that's a 12.8 million, uh, billion bushel crop down from the nine, 15 billion that they pre- pre- forecasted. You've gotta lose a billion bushel of demand. We have to figure out where this demand is gonna be cut. So to me, I'm not the least bit phased by this stuff that everyone's screaming, oh, that's why the top's in. Talk to me about it in August. Talk to me about it next January. We'll see what the market looks like. But here on the cash side, a lot of my friends are are freaking out. I don't have a better way to put it. We we you know have made a lot of plans based on big crops. We've made a lot of decisions based on the idea that we are gonna get the crop planted and now a lot of folks in trade territories like mine, North Chicago, parts of Ohio, Indiana, they're looking at it and saying, okay, I can't buy corn now because most of my customers don't have corn planted. So they're going to hold on to it because they like to be able to stay in the game. Um, So old crop's not moving. Uh, And what does new crop look like? And so I choose to, in instances like this, pay attention to what the cash market is telling me more so than what a trader is telling me somewhere. I don't even want to pick on anyone in Chicago because that's not fair because they really don't have, it's not Chicago Anymore, uh, maybe someone that's telling me something in New York City. That's my favorite, um, you know. And, and so my the cash folks that I'm talking to right now are they're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations with guys that are telling me on the cash side that are not drama queens uh, that this is worse in their trade draw area than 12. So. Tell me what that
0: that means long term. I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, we're not going to know if this. That's the one thing about the USDA's <coughs> reporting that we won't really know anything. <coughs> Excuse me. We don't really know anything until until January gets around to get that final crop report coming for the year and and those things. Now we're going to start making a, uh, some assumptions and, and what that looks like. You know, prevent is going to make a big a big play. You know, big splash in, in the uh, in the August. You know. Crop report, what that looks like, and everything else. But like you said, the same number of acres that guys are going to turn into silage, they're going to turn into silage because they have to feed dairy cows, they have to feed beef cows, they have to feed all the stuff that go into that. Man, I mean, yeah, it's good yeah. To be- I'm
1: hearing rumors right now from parts of Iowa. I have a friend that farms out there that uh, a couple dairies out there. Which first of all, I was like, there's dairies in Iowa, um, which I know exists, but it still blows me away a little bit. Um, they're offering guys a thousand dollars an acre for corn that's planted because it's planted. Um, and they're not able. And that's in Iowa, um, where everything supposedly is done and you know everyone parts rainbows. Yeah. Um so I just it's it's kind of amazing to see, you know, what all is, is happening. And maybe I struggle with backyard itis because we're 10% planted around here. I can count on one hand in a 15 mile radius how many fields are in, in the ground. Now, we'll have a lot of progress happen today, tomorrow, and Saturday, if, and the rain's not supposed to come until Sunday. So we have a lot of guys that'll, that'll get a lot more in the ground than what they were anticipating maybe early on, but I also have a lot of folks that have already returned their seed corn because they have a lot of soybean acres to plant. And they have a lot of burn down to put on. They have a lot of field work that needs to be done still. And I I posted that on Twitter this morning from the Simpsons. I don't know if you're a Simpsons fan or not, but when they were trying to explain Mr. Burns, uh, all of his diseases, and and they couldn't all get through the door. Right. Yeah. So that's why he remained healthy is because none of them could get through the door to kill him. And that's basically like where we're at right now. I was talking to my boss We do custom app here at Citizens, and he said we have to get fungicide on wheat. We have to get uh, pre-emerge down on our food grade beans. We have to try to get the corn sprayed. We have to try to do this. We have to try to do that. And we have three days to do it. And so every farmer in the U.S. is kind of doing the same thing. Well, I have to plant. True. I have to replant. I have to do my my spring field prep work that I haven't had time to do. I mean, um, and so... I choose to look at people that are moving around. Luke Swenson um, is a a commodities guy, and he also farms from North Dakota. And I I secretly have been stalking him here recently, um, not in a creepy way. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. But um, he made a trip down. And he uh, said the other day um, that I made this trip to quench my bullishness, not pour gas on it. He said, and what he saw was completely unexpected. I mean, he was in portions of Indiana that had 0% planted. Um, I have friends in the Toledo area that have 0% planted. And like I said, it's June 7th. So a lot of folks are saying, oh, well, look, that planter's rolling. Okay, well, you have to also remember that there's a 2020 rule to be able to maintain a discount on crop insurance to keep your units Mm -hmm. Um, in a smaller level so you have to plant x amount of acres of something to be be able to get prevented plant coverage on the rest and keep your enterprise unit designation i think it's enterprise unit designation um and Mm -hmm. and so you have to plant a certain amount of a crop or you lose 10 grand or whatever however many grand i have a smaller farmer that, that it's 10 grand um and he's a smaller guy so imagine you know and so that's the other thing is some of these planters rolling You know, might be slightly disingenuous in the sense that uh, they're just doing it because they have to. Um, You know, uh, other guys have told me that doing prevented plant is awful because it's hard for weed management and things like that. So they're going to try to get a crop it in eventually. They're not really anticipating much in the way of production, but they're going to do it. Um, Other folks are really working on soybeans at this point. Um, so your planter's rolling, but maybe you're seeing a conversion over to soybean acres from corn simply because um, but you still have a reasonable yield window on soybeans right now versus um, trying to get corn in the ground. Right. So, yeah. I'm not ground this, but I can tell you everyone I talk to is talking about seeding disease, talking about returns of corn, uh, bags of corn seed. Um, all of these things that are telling me that this story, in on the corn side especially, is not over, um, you know, and don't even get me started on everyone that's suddenly realizing we don't have winter wheat, really, to cover the issues that are out there right now on new crop, yep. because, uh, hello, I've only been talking about that since November, but hey, welcome to the party, we don't have any winter wheat, so, yep. yay. Yep
0: yeah the winter wheat things that's that's probably that's a that's one of those unreported stories really i mean so everyone's so focused on corn right now but the winter wheat is actually in a from a from a production standpoint wise it's in a worse position the corn is i mean
1: every
0: they're getting rain on winter wheat in kansas and oklahoma and texas stuff like that at the worst possible time they could possibly get it so there there could be some uh,
1: Missouri, know. Arkansas, yeah. Louisiana, oh, wow. uh, Kentucky, <clears throat> Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, mm-hmm. Michigan, our head scab rate is is very high. So the yep. only thing worse than having reduced production like we're looking at right now is having reduced production uh, of a really crappy crop. Yep. Um, and the other thing is, is in Ontario, um, which Ontario imports or exports, I guess we import a lot of Ontario wheat here in Michigan and into the Toledo market structure. Like uh and estimate that i talked to someone first of all acres were down a million from intentions that was announced in like january maybe even like earlier than that um of what was planted that you know that lower number planted of what was planted uh an estimated 60 percent um, was basically deemed uninsurable by their crop insurance agency and in ontario you or canada in general from what i understand i'm explaining what was explained to me um, if you take that into production, you can, but it, there's no insurance for it. So so you can decide, okay, I'm going to take this into to production that's been marked as uninsurable, but you're not going to be able to make a claim. So that's pushing a lot of guys to go out and actually tear up wheat that you know, may produce 40 bushel an acre or something like that, which I've got to point out, in Michigan and Ontario, an 80 bushel crop is a disappointment for us. So we hear a lot of 40, 45 in the southern plains, we're 80, so that's why we can still pencil weed in as a moneymaker. So to have someone get told that their wheat didn't tiller and they're looking at 35 bushels of the acre, that's devastating. I mean, that's not going to work for them. And so that that's a whole other issue um, that we'll have to see, you know, really what happens with that. but. The Ontario wheat traders have been washing out of a lot of sales they had on in Toledo. So, Kraft, the buyer at Kraft, was really kind of uh, bragging, not bragging, because I don't want to pick on Mark like that. That's not the case. But he was covered. He had purchased the bulk of his needs for both 18 and 19, um, really out of Ontario. The Canadian dollar had dropped, the market had rallied, basis had firmed, and they were expecting a huge amount of wheat to get planted last fall. And you know, need a necessary need to to get it moved. So, so they've basically been sitting down there, kind of resting on their laurels in Toledo, with the idea that they were covered. Well, now all of these Ontario sellers are lifting out of contracts, taking you know, pretty large hits on on what what they had sold because they just don't have the production to cover it. And the feed market there is resulting in values that are closer to you know, an 85 over into my local mill here, which right now they're paying, they're saying they're gonna pay five overs. So the Ontario crop at this point is gonna stay in Ontario and that's something I'm watching too. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on and really when it comes down to it, you need to talk to your local cash trader more so to get a feel for what's actually taking place than someone that's reading headlines and regurgitating them to you in some way, shape or form. Yeah,
0: plus the pressure, market pressure you're gonna get from you know the potential drought they're having in in russia and then the drought they're having in in australia so i mean there's a there's a ton of pressure on wheat right now that that's going to be i think more explosive than what people are are really following um in yeah the it
1: goes back <clears throat> to the same old adage that you know we've had these we have this continued idea that it's a record crop and so what tends to happen is people once they feel that they're confident in a a stance on the market they maintain it forever yeah um even if it's wrong you know australia has been dry for like the last three four years and they're the driest this year that they've been um and they're supposed to be planting a crop and then russia was going to be this massive bajillion bushel crop and now you're starting to see uh some of my friends over there are cutting back on what they're anticipating actually moves out of russia as well because they're dealing with a lot of heat uh, during kernel fill and not a lot of rain. So that's something to be watching too. Yep. Not to mention the Canadian prairies, Yeah uh, nice spring to planted late, the southern plains wheat is garbage at this point. Um, you know, so that's the fun part about wheat. Let's go ahead and guess what wheat's gonna yield before it even puts a head on. Okay, let me know how that works for you. <laughs> If I were
0: to trade wheat had production knowing what my my crop looked like every year I'd be, I'd have been broke seven years ago yeah yeah wheat is a uh, it's a fickle crop man because it it can it can change real fast it's a grass you know so it doesn't yeah it can change pretty quick you know all right Angie hey good stuff as usual the folks want to reach out to you and ask you questions and get your opinion on on uh, what's going on how to do that
1: you can find me on Twitter at Goddess of Grain, or you can email me at asetzer at citizenselevator.com.
0: All right. Also, check out Angie's podcast, uh, Girls Talk Ag, with, with her other three cohorts there. And they, uh, they, have a, they have a great time on their podcast, so check that out. It's also on the Global Ag Network. So, Angie, have yourself a good weekend, and we will talk to you again next week. Have a good one. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at MovingIronPodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Millinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving
1: iron in the 21st century.
0: Again, through the years, you'll find us
1: here.